roadmap to talk about the gospel. The first word in that is God. God sent his son. And we spent about three weeks just looking at God himself and what he's revealed in his Bible, his word, which is very different than the little, small, incomplete God of our minds. Our God is so much bigger and greater and more powerful than we can wrap our heads around. And we tried to look at the gospel in the big picture. And then we've been trying to answer that second clause, God sent His Son. Why? Why did He send His Son? And to answer that, you have to understand God's righteous wrath against sin, how we cannot abide it or excuse it. And to understand our condition. All of mankind's condition as being fallen, corrupt sinners. We looked at a series of passages last time in the Old Testament to see how this concept was slowly being revealed. And it adds layer upon layer, line upon line, precept upon precept. That's how we learn doctrine. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. It all builds together. And so we're going to continue that, and I pray that the Lord will keep you both engaged this morning, um, and that if you've never heard this before, or if you have heard it before, that you'll hear it with fresh ears and take it to heart. Because this is going to be the exact opposite of what the world will teach you about yourself. The world will say, you're basically good. Not what the, that's not what God reveals about us in His Word. We're not basically good. So to do that, I'm going to start at kind of a, an odd text. This is Matthew chapter 8, 21 and 22. A disciple has come to Jesus, not one of the twelve, but just one who wants to follow Him. And He gives him a yeah, but. You ever done that to God? Yeah, I'd like to do that, but. He says, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. I've got something else to do that's more important than serving you. Lord, suffer me first to bury my father. And Jesus answered him with a very strange expression. The world, it'll sound strange. The world sounds foolish or absurd. He says, follow me. And let the dead bury their dead. Okay? Now the dead that Jesus is talking to obviously have the ability to walk around and to complete a burial service of a dead body. So there's something going on where you can be alive physically and yet dead. This is a hard concept, kids. I'm going to try to go slow through it. It's a hard concept for... Adults, too. But Jesus here is telling this man, follow me. It's more important. Let those who are dead bury their dead. Okay, so we're going to try and see what that looks like. And what does that dead mean? It means it means to be dead in spirit. Okay, that's the short answer. 
And so I want you to go with me to Ephesians. And we're going to start with the question of, well, who's dead in spirit? Ephesians chapter 2. Those preachers love to quote Ephesians 2.1, and we quote it with the italics in there because we want to prove a point. But the italics are words that are added by the translators for clarity. Now, the, the point that's added there is completely right, and it's actually found down in verse 5. It's just tying it all together. But I'm going to read this passage to you without that italics. So this is how it's written. It says, And you, this is writing, written to born-again believers at Ephesus, a Gentile city, it says, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Past tense, you were dead. He's writing to people who are all physically alive, but at some point in their life, they were dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. Now that word dead there, lest you're confused, that is the exact same Greek word to describe Jesus' friend Lazarus. He's dead, Lord. By now he stinketh. Same dead. We're not talking little dead, not mostly dead, not still on the gurney. Let's get the paddles. A little bit of life dead. This is dead. The root word it comes from is corpse. That's what Brother David Wise was referring to when he's talking about the Lord looking down and seeing corpses. It's your spiritually dead body. Okay? You were dead in trespasses and sins. And just for clarity... To trespass is a transgression. It is a falling away. It is going the wrong way. It's not going after the Lord. And your sins are your faults. You're going the wrong way, consumed in sins and faults and transgressions. Verse 2 says, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. Same Christians he's talking to. He says, In the t past time in your life, you walked like the pattern of this world according to the prince of the power of the air. Later in this chapter, or this book rather, Paul would write about there being a spiritual battle. And that your battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. The prince of the power of the air is another name for Satan. You followed after his pattern when you were dead in trespasses and sins. He says, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's a name for the non-elect. The children of disobedience. It's the same spirit. You acted, thought, engaged in a manner that was the same as them. It says, among whom we all. The question we're trying to ask is, who was dead in trespasses and sins? All among whom we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature. That is our sin nature. That is our carnal nature. That is what happened when Adam fell in the garden, that we all had a corrupt nature, which desired to fulfill the lusts of the flesh and the desires of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Okay? Dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. All of us. Every human born. Every human conceived. 
dead in trespasses and sins. We saw that last week as we were looking about in sin did my mother conceive me um, and formed in the womb in, in iniquity, right? So are, are there any exceptions? But, but, but I want to argue. I'm better than somebody. Sometimes I do nice things. I'm not that bad. <laughs> Let's go to Romans. Romans chapter 3. Now the Lord had mercy on you this morning because to get to Romans chapter 3, I was going to go through Romans 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> but we're going to just narrow our scope just a little bit. Romans 3, and I'm going to start reading in verse 9. And just to give you the context, I'll read Romans 3, 1. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profiteth the circumcision? So the question is, how is uh, a Gentile at a disadvantage from the Jew, or how is the Jew better than a Gentile? On one hand, the Jews are very much advantaged in that they had the blessings of uh, the law given to them. Now, but the real question is, are they better? Because they're Jews, are they better than Gentiles? And that's the question that's going to be asked in verse 9. So that's the dichotomy we're dealing with, Jew versus Gentile. What then, are we better than they? Are the Jews better than the Gentiles? The answer is no, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Any exceptions? No. All under sin. And then Paul is going to give a summary here. And you'll these passages should be familiar. We read almost all of them last week. But he's going to give it in a concise summary. It says, as it is written. So when Paul says that, he says, as it is written. Guess what he's quoting? Old Testament. Should we read the Old Testament? You better believe it. All right. As it is written, there is none righteous. No not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. Trespasses. Turn aside. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an Oakland sepulcher. What's a sepulcher? It's like a grave. He's describing that your mouth, your throat, when you're dead in trespasses and sins, it has all the warm fuzziness of an open grave. You do evil by it. Their tongues, they have used deceit or fraud, guile. Poison of asps is under their tongues. With mouth, whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery in, are in their ways. Their pathways have destruction and misery. And the way of peace they have not known, not seen it, not understood it, can't recall it. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That, brothers and sisters, is a description of you and me in our natural state. We don't understand any spiritual things. We're dead. We have no perception of it. We do not seek God in any way. We've departed. We stay astray from the Lord's path. We have no desire for it. We don't seek good. That word unprofitable, we become unprofitable, that means useless. You ever tried to sell a rotten tomato? 
Good luck. You and I are rotten tomatoes. There is no profit in us. We sin with our mouth, with our tongues, with our feet. We're completely ignorant of true peace. And I'm not talking about peace as in we've got the temporary respite where there's no bad things immediately happening to us. But I mean real peace. The peace between the creature and his creator. We can't see it. We can't understand it. And we certainly don't know it. This is pretty clear. And if we can truly understand this one doctrine, everything else that we believe has to fall into place. And all the false doctrines of all the other denominations have to fall. There is no point in your mind where you can put you low enough and you can put God high enough. Our problem day to day, my problem, is I don't want to put myself so low. Right? We lift ourselves up. We get caught up in pride. There's no understanding. Let's look at that first. There's no understanding. First Corinthians chapter one. No, I want first Corinthians chapter two. <coughs> First Corinthians chapter two, we're just going to jump in and say verse 14. It's quite a few verses that will deal with the same concept, but first Corinthians 2:14. But the natural man, as opposed to as the spiritual man, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him. The word foolishness means silly. It means absurd. The things of God are absurd to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You have no spiritual understanding. You cannot understand. It's not that you just don't want to. You can't. And to hear it with your natural ears, it comes across as absurdity. That's just crazy. That includes preaching. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Preaching except when you are in debt and trespasses and sins, the preaching has no impact on you. It's just foolish. It's a spiritual thing. You can't hear it. You have no understanding. Jesus would say that in John chapter 8. He would tell people who were listening to him that he cannot understand. John chapter 8 and verse 43. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you cannot hear my word. You're dead. You cannot understand. You can't hear it. There's going to be all these different ways that God is going to describe our condition. I'm going to read a whole list of them at the end of the today. One being like a dead body. Like you're someone who has no understanding. It's like you have no ears even to hear what's being said. Yes, you've got natural ears. You can hear words coming in. 
but you don't understand it. You can't understand it. Not in your natural state. Okay? Back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 18. Let's go a little farther. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles in the vanity of their mind. Vanity means worthless, idleness. That's how our mind is when we're dead in trespasses and sins. We have a vain mind. It's worthless. It's idle. And in that condition, verse 18, it says, having the understanding darkened. You don't understand. It's like you're trying to walk through the dark. You have no flashlight. You're kicking over things and stumbling over stones, right? That's how Jesus would describe the Pharisees. They're like the blind leading the blind. Having your understanding darkened, darkened, being alienated from the life of God, alienated. That doesn't mean you're an illegal citizen. That means you are estranged from God. You were separated from Him. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Not only do you have no understanding, you're ignorant. You can't know it. You can't learn it with your natural mind. Why? Because of the blindness of their hearts. See, all these different images, all these different word pictures that the Lord is using to describe what state you're in, you had a blind heart. Couldn't even feel it. The blindness of your heart. Who being past feeling. That past feeling gives the idea of apathetic. You're apathetic to the things of God. You just don't care. Have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, the desire of forbidden things, to work all uncleanness with greediness. You can't hear. You can't understand. Okay? Go back to Romans chapter 8. And you'll see that in that condition, you certainly are not seeking after God. That was the first thing in Romans 3 was you don't understand. The next was you don't seek after God. Look at Romans 8, verses 5 through 8. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Alright, so we've got similar words that mean the same thing. Carnal, flesh, old man, world. They're all describing that same state where you desire the things of this world, the lusts of the flesh, as opposed to the new man or the spiritual man or being heavenly minded. Those are the, the two opposites. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. You care about what the flesh cares about. You pay attention to it. But they that are after the spirit... The things of the Spirit. They mind the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. That same Greek word uh, translated here, enmity, would later in Galatians, when it's describing the fruits of the flesh, be translated as the word hatred. The carnal mind is hatred against God. Are you going to seek Him? No! Naturally, you hate Him. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be, so that they that are in the flesh 
cannot please God. Cannot please God. And if you want to go look at Galatians 5, 19 through 21, you can see, I won't turn there for the sake of time this morning, you can see those fruits of the flesh, all the things that you pursue in your natural state. There's another image that the Scripture would use to describe you and me, and that's like lost sheep who have gone astray. We saw that last time when in Psalm 119, very last verse, David would just say that I've gone astray. So in 1 Peter 2 and 25, Peter would write, For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned under the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Now don't get confused, little lost sheep. You didn't travel back to your Savior. You were returned. You were passive. Your Savior went and got you. That's the image that you get over in Isaiah 40 about him being the shepherd who would go after his sheep. Isaiah 40 and 11. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. You were astray. And your Savior came and got you. Carried you in His arms. Tucked you close to His bosom and His chest. And returned you. go to Colossians. I'm going to just look through several spots in this letter to see the difference between what you as a born again child of God used to be and what you are now. You can't appreciate <laughs> the scope of the grace that was poured upon you if you don't understand the scope of how Wicked and vile, you were. First Corinthians, not Corinthians, excuse me, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, starting verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Our God made us meet or fit to be partakers of an inheritance. The inheritance is to be with Him in glory. If you had to be made fit, what was that? What were you before? You were unfit. And he made you fit. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness? Where were you? You were under the power of darkness. That's where you were held. And now he has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. He has removed you from under the power of darkness. The prince of the power there. Satan. Sin. That's whose power you were under. 
He has removed that. You are no longer bound to sin. You don't have to give in to any temptation. With every temptation, there is a way of escape provided. Jump down to verse 21. It says, And you who were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind. Alienated. Again, that's estranged. You who are estranged from God. And not just a little bit. You were enemies. That's where you were. You were an enemy of God. You hated Him. Enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now He hath reconciled. That word reconciled means fully reconciled. Fully reconciled. You ever patch things up with a sibling or a spouse and it's kind of, yeah, we're kind of okay, but we're really just tired of fighting, so we're moving on. It's kind of one of those haphazard paper mache reconciliations. This ain't that. Every charge that was against you, every single fault, everything for which you and I deserve to be estranged and cast out from the presence of our Lord. He's taken away, put on His Son, and reconciled us fully to Him. Jump over to chapter 2. I want to start in verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So here's two more ways we're being described. You're being dead, dead in sin, spiritually dead. It says even here, you're uncircumcision, the uncircumcision of your flesh. We were still carnal. He hath quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. There was there was a list. Every transgression, handwritten. That was what Christ paid for. Because you were so great? No. It's while you were still dead in sins that he did that. He nailed it to his cross and he spoiled principalities and powers. Remember chapter 1, that power of darkness. He overthrew them. He cast them off utterly. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. His victorious resurrection. Go again to chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. This is referring to your natural body. Mortify the members which are upon the earth. 
fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, again, another name for the non-elect, in which, in the which, all those things that we just, those nasty, vile things that we just listed, in the which he also walked in some time when ye lived in them. When you were spiritually dead, and all that lived and reigned in your life was sin and your carnal nature, that was what you engaged in. It says, but now, but now ye also put off all these, Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. And that word put off the old man is the same word about Christ overthrowing those dominions. Put them off entirely. Overthrow them. You've got the power to do that. Put off the old man with his deeds and put on to be clothed with the new man, which is the renewing, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him who created him. All right, so you've got this this imagery describing us as being the new man versus the old man. The old man's referring to your carnal nature, to the flesh, to the things that you do by nature in your corrupt fallen state, versus the spiritual man when he is born again, made alive by the Holy Spirit, and that's who you are to walk in going forward. Put off the old and put on the new. Go with me to Titus just for a moment. Titus chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. You get an admonition to speak evil of no man. And then you get an explanation for why. To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish disobedient, deceived, serving divers, lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. What's that describing? That's your natural state. Should you speak evil of any man because you see someone acting like that? You know better than they. And you don't know who God's children are. Because if somebody looked at you before you were born again, you would have looked just the same way. That's why we speak evil of no man, showing all meekness unto all men. We don't know who the Lord's children are. We don't know when He's going to move and give them that new birth. That's why these works, when we're to put them off, would be described in Hebrews as dead works. They're the works of a dead man. You're alive, yet you're dead. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1 says this is foundational. Very basic. It says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Repenting from these dead works is a basic, foundational element of your walk with Christ. You cannot continue in them. Dead works. The old man, dead in trespasses and sins. You'd see this again over in uh, Hebrews 9 and 14, describing the how great God's uh, Jesus' sacrifice was. Jesus, uh, Hebrews 9 and 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? 
His blood is so powerful that He can cleanse even your mind and your heart and your conscience from all those dead works that you've engaged in so you can serve the living God. That's how powerful His blood is. To cleanse you, to make you clean. So while we're dead, we have no ears to hear, have no eyes to see, have no understanding. You know, some people will say, well, well, maybe I've still got a little bit. I've got a little bit of strength or something. Surely the Lord needs me to do something for my salvation. Romans chapter 5, we'll starting verse 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, that's your natural state, without strength. How many corpses you know that can bench press anything? You had no strength. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. Ungodly, wicked, vile. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Now, it's going to talk about naturally. That if there's a really good man and you have the opportunity to save him by laying down your life, it says maybe that'll happen. Even for, you know, so for a righteous man, a holy man, maybe, maybe one will die. Peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But who's going to lay down his life to save that wicked, vile, murderer, rapist, racist, hatred, a filled scum of the universe? Naturally, not a one of us. But that's what Christ did for you and me. But God commended his love towards us. Commended means to set together. He took his love and he set it on you. He commended his love towards us in that way. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death, of the death of His Son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. And this is that verse we quote so often. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. That one man was Adam. And death by sin. He sinned, death came in. So death passed upon all men, for all have sinned, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is a figure of him that was to come. Sin and death were reigning. They were reigning. We had no strength. We were enemies to God. And yet He chose to reconcile us. Now when you were an enemy to God and without strength, who were you serving? You always serve someone. Look at the next chapter in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey... 
His servants ye are, to whom ye obey. Whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. Two choices. Only two options, not really a choice. Whether of sin unto death, or of, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked, ye were the servants of sin. Were. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. You were the servant of sin by Christ's work. And when he gives you new birth, you are no longer a servant of sin. You are now a servant to righteousness. I speak after the manner of men. Because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity to iniquity, even so now, so in your past, that's what you did, that's what you yielded to. Even so now, yield your members, your body, all of it, servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. Well, I, I, I was free. Yeah, you were free not to be righteous. You were bound to be a servant to sin. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You were a slave to sin. Over in the next chapter in 714, it said you were sold under sin. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. You were in bondage. That's what Christ released you from. That bondage to sin. Okay. See later down in uh, chapter four, 7 and verse 18, you wonder if there's just... Is there anything, any part of me, naturally, that's good? God answers that. No. 7.18 For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, my carnal self, my natural nature... For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Your natural state has nothing good in it. And guess what? When you're in that state, you don't think you're that bad. And so this morning, if I've just blatantly discouraged you, if I've got you down in the dumps, if you're looking at yourself and seeing... I'm a sinner, then let me encourage you. That means you've been given eyes to see. If you can hear the word preached and believe it, you've been given spiritual ears. Because if you didn't, you'd be sitting there thinking, this guy's mighty boring, hope lunch is soon. Let's wrap this up. He's talking crazy. There's nothing naturally good in you. But praise God that when He gives you new birth, you desire Him. You didn't seek Him before. You seek Him now. You didn't have any understanding before. You have limited understanding now. And He gives you tools to learn more about Him. And a teacher in the Holy Spirit.
We have an opportunity to serve and to grow as a servant of righteousness. He dwelleth no good thing. We don't have to turn to it, but this imagery of having no eyes or ears, that shows up quite frequently in the book of Revelation. There's letters to seven different churches. The angel of the seven churches. And within each one of those, there was instructions of those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Seven churches, seven admonitions, and he tells who he's talking to. Those that have ears to hear. So am I preaching you to this morning? Yeah. Am I preaching to me this morning? Yeah. This is mighty depressing. Yeah. Mankind is. That's not what we worship. We worship something so much greater. It's easy to get tunnel vision into this world. You know, what what's going on in my life? I've got a family, I've got a job, I've got you know education, I've got politics, I've got you, you just name it. And we consume our mind and our thoughts with mankind. That's not where we need to keep our mind. We're admonished to think on things that are pure and lovely and a good report. How many of those things are man naturally? No. You can think on God. You can think on His Son. You can think of the great things that He's done for you. You can think about your brothers and sisters and what great things God done has done for them. And is there goodness within them now? Yes. Because it's given by God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. If you have any goodness in you this morning, praise God. If you desire to serve God this morning, even though you fail, if you have a desire to serve Him, praise God. In everything that we do, we've got to praise God. Let's wrap up back in Matthew. Let's go to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, Jesus was asked why he always speaks in parables. In verse 13, he answers, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because seeing, they seeing, see not. And hearing, they hear not. Neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, or Isaiah, which said, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes have they closed. Lest at that time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted. And I will heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see 
and have not seen them, and hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. If you can sit under the sound of the gospel and believe it to be true, you can rest assured that there has been a miracle done within you that is no less than the miracle of calling Lazarus forth from the grave. You were dead. And he gave you life. He quickened you. And now you can hear. Brothers and sisters, you and I need to redeem that time and not to continue to live as if we were dead, pursuing those dead works. So we've learned that the entire human race is corrupt. Has been since the fall. There's nothing good in man by nature. We were slaves to sin and under the power of darkness. In that condition, you're dead or described as blind, deaf, unable to comprehend spiritual things. Your salvation can have no part upon your will or your works. You can't contribute anything. You can't see it. You wouldn't even desire it in your natural state. And there's no hope for man apart from God's grace. So I want you all to think this week about the images that we've seen to describe our corrupt nature. Dead to sin, slaves to sin, under sin, under the power of darkness, Blind in eyes, blind in heart, deaf, no understanding, having your understanding darkened, past feeling, you're apathetic, you surrendered to sin, you've given over, your sheep gone astray, you are aliens to God, spiritually uncircumcised, without strength, and enemies to God. And as you meditate on that, think about God setting his love upon you. Because that's when he did it. He commended his love to you in that state. Why did God send his son? Because he had already chosen the people before he had creation. And they needed delivering from sin, from darkness, from themselves. And he chose to love them in spite of themselves and to reconcile them to him by sacrificing the most precious thing in existence for you, for me, and for every single one of his children. Thank you all for your time and your attention.